what we want to do through this series on Ephesians is we have a couple of agendas, okay? Every time we have a, a series at church, you know, all the pastors, we have agendas. We have things we feel like God wants you to grab. That's why we're doing it. It's not because we thought, this sounds like fun. Let's just talk about this. It's because God says, hey, this is what the people need. Let's jump into this. So I've had a series on Ephesians ruminating or marinating in my heart for almost a year now, actually. I felt like the Lord's been having me pray different things out of this book over you guys. And so we finally, he's saying, it's time, it's time to dig into it. So what we feel like the Lord is saying is that this is your opportunity, if you've never had this before, to learn how to absorb the word of God. Okay, if you've been in church for any length of time, you know your eyes kind of glaze over when you start to read big chunks of scripture. And sometimes it's like, oh, I have a gist, I have a, you know, the understanding of the gist of what this means. But we want you to actually go, oh, I know how to walk this through. I know how to put it into my brain and then into my heart so that it can do something impactful in my life. So I've written these out for you so that I can show you what you can do as we read through it. That's what this is for today, okay? All right, one last note I want to say about translations of the Bible and the Passion Translation in particular. We love the Passion Translation. You guys know that. It's a newer translation. It's not fully completed yet. I think next year is when it's supposed to be totally done. Um, but it's not intended to be its own standalone translation as the only thing you ever read. It's the same with the message. The message translation is not supposed to be the only Bible that you read. It's supposed to complement the other translations so that you can get a whole picture. So the King James Version, raise your hand if you're familiar with that. <clears throat> so today's a little bit of background type, you know, hopefully any of you studious people will appreciate this and those that aren't studious, just hang in there with me, okay? Um, the, the King James Version is the first version of the Bible that was translated into what we consider modern day English. That's what it is. So most people would say it's the most true to the context one, right? But there's the Hebrew language and the Greek language, it doesn't translate like word for word. So the King James was the first attempt, and then we have, you go to version and select translation, and you have all those other attempts at trying to capture the heart of what was in the Greek, what was in Hebrew, and make it into English. The Passion Translation, its desire and its goal is to capture the passion of God for his people in it. That's why when you read it from there, it might seem like uh, really beautiful, really loving, like full of love. That's because that's the intention. So it's not a word-for-word -word translation. Um, and then the last thing I want to say about translations is we're going to be using the Passion Translation and the English Standard Version, otherwise known as the ESV. Most theologians, which I'm not one, will tell you the ESV is sort of the most true to the meaning type translation, and we love it. But also sometimes it's got a little bit of that glazing effect. I don't know about you, but for me, where I read a chunk of scripture and I'm like, that was beautiful. I don't really know what that means, you know, and I have to stop and really think through it. So we're going to be presenting the ESV and the Passion Translation to help you guys through this series. One last note on that. If you look behind you, you will see a giant sticker that says Ephesians. And the whole book of Ephesians is now printed on our wall, and it's going to be up there for the duration of this series. So what we want you to do is as the weeks move along, you can do it today, as it goes along, grab one of those markers and highlight the verse or two that you love, that's standing out to you. You can highlight more than one as the series goes on, okay? I started it. I highlighted one that you're going to find out why it's meaningful to me. But before you leave today, just take a second to interact with that. Mark it down. What I would love to see is at the end of this series, we can look at that and go, oh my gosh, the wall of Ephesians comes alive where we get to see what applies to you guys and what you love about it. So don't be silly with it. You know, take it seriously, but make a note, make a star, underline, circle, whatever, and let us know.
All right, that's the background. So we're going to be talking about Ephesians, and what I want to do before we actually get into the actual text is give you some background of what the church in Ephesus was, okay? Some of you guys may have heard this before, some of you may not have, but Paul, the Apostle Paul, went to Ephesus on a missionary journey, which we can actually read about in Acts 19. In fact, we actually talked about this story several weeks ago when we talked about um, when Paul was challenging the people who were worshiping in the um, temple of Diana and they began to get saved and they were burning their magic stuff and their pagan worship. Do you guys remember this story? So much so that it was like 50,000 pounds of silver and it was affecting the economy of the city because so many people were getting rid of their pagan worship to worship Jesus. It's a great story. You can catch it in Acts 19. But what that was when Paul went for the first time. That was in 52 AD, Okay. When he wrote the book of Ephesians, that was 60 AD, so eight years later. All right, when he wrote the book of Ephesians, he was in house arrest, in, uh, in a prison, in a home in Rome, and he died a couple years later. He was martyred. So that's kind of give you some context. The book of Ephesians is the only one of the 13 books that Paul wrote in the New Testament. It's the only one that's not actually mentions people by name. Okay, it doesn't mention, you know, most of his books, all of them, in fact, except Ephesians. He says, hey, tell Timothy I said hi. Tell Priscilla Aquila I said hi. He gives notes, right? In Ephesians, he doesn't actually do that. And another thing that he does that's really interesting is it's not actually addressed to a certain city. He might be like, well, hold on. When I read my translation, it says a letter to the Ephesians. That comment was actually added in the margin of one of the later copies of what was one of the manuscripts they found. The original, most farthest back dating original document of this letter actually did not have to the Ephesians. So what that tells us is that it was intended for all believers, right? For every person who considers themselves saved, the book of Ephesians is for you. Okay, so let me give you a little context of what we believe at Bethel about the Bible. We, and I hope this is not news to you, okay? I hope this doesn't come as a shock. But we believe the Bible is the very word of God, okay? We believe every word in the Bible is intentionally put there by God. Now, some of those words are put there for historical context. Some of them are put there for deliberate, you need to do this, this is how you get saved, or this is the way you live your life. Some of them are cultural things, right? So when we read the Bible, we have to think through all of those lenses so that we can grab what God is really saying. What we cannot do is pull one verse out and then make a whole doctrine about it without looking at the context of the whole, okay? I know most of you guys know this, but I just want to make sure we, we all know this is how we need to approach the Bible. Sometimes people get kind of crazy and they see one verse and they're like, oh, okay, let, let's take example. Let's do a little hot topic, tangent, intentional rabbit trail. You could say, wait a second, doesn't Paul tell Timothy, or uh, I think it's a Timothy, that women should stay silent in church, right? Wait a second, how can that be? Okay, so you take that verse, you take the context of what it was saying, you take the culture of who they were saying it to, and then you take the grand picture from Genesis to Revelation of how God treats women, for example, and then you will find what that verse was really for right? So many of Paul's letters were directing a specific congregation or a specific group of people that had issues that not everybody had. So what's beautiful about Ephesians is that it applies to everybody carte blanche, okay? Everything in there, it applies to you. So if you have, you know, challenges with that or want to ask me more about that or grant more about that, come find us later. We're more than happy to flesh that out. All right, so when I look at Ephesians, what I see is I'm going to call it the inclusive epistle, that's my term. It's not out there anywhere. But I love that because of two things. Number one, it's for everybody. We just talked about that. And number two, the leadership team that Paul established for the church in Ephesus was a very inclusive team. 
There was a, a Gentile man, there was a married couple, a woman and a man, and there was a former slave. That's an interesting mix of people to choose to lead a church. There was a young person, Timothy. Timothy actually became the leader of the church in Ephesus, and First and Second Timothy were written to him while he was leading that church, in case you wanted to know. Um, but that's some background to it. So, all right, I'm not going to spend any more time on that. Here we go. I'm going to read to you out of Ephesians 1 on the English Standard Version, okay? Occasionally, I might bump, bump, bump? bop over? I don't know what that word was. Sorry, guys. I might change over to the Passion Translation, but this is how we're going to break this down. We're going to start over here, Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. This is our chunk of scripture for today. All right. Greeting. I didn't write that on there, but you can, if you want to be on your U version, it's the ESV chapter 1, Ephesians 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. So now we know that was written in the margin of the letter. And are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we're going to stop there and you guys are all thinking, oh my gosh, if you're going to stop at every verse, we're going to be here till next summer. And I'm not, so don't worry. But I want to stop here and make a note of something. I've got some colored markers here. When you are studying the Bible, one of the best things you can do is make notes, okay? You, you, you know, make it make sense to you. If something jumps off the page to you, grab onto it. Don't miss that opportunity. So that's what we're going to do. My colors don't mean anything. Some of you guys are really great. at I always mark in red, and that signifies this. I'm not, I can't remember which color I had used. So to me, it's just kind of like, this seems fun right now. So today we're going to do red. Okay, so I'm going to circle here grace and peace, Okay. Here's what's interesting about this. This is why I believe this is the inclusive epistle. Grace is the word the Greek culture and the Roman culture at the time would use to say hello. We say hey around here, right? If you're a little bit farther south, you might say howdy. If you're farther north, you might say what's up, right? We all have a different greeting. So in the Greek context, this is how you would say hi. You would say grace. And then if you were from a Jewish culture, you would say peace or shalom. In fact, they actually still do that. If you've ever been to Israel, they all walk around instead of being like, hey, they're like, shalom, you know? It's, it's just how, it's their vernacular. So what Paul is doing in the very first part of Ephesians 1, he's saying there is something for everybody in this book, okay? Here's what that would look like. If we find a letter like this and it's from the deep south and it's filled with y'all and fixin' to and things like that, and then we want to translate that over to, let's say, like Boston, right? Or we want to send it to Harvard. And we say, hey, this is so good for you. And they start reading it and they read, y'all better fix into love Jesus. You know, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I'm just going to guess there's a feeling of like, I don't think this is for me. Right? Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, wait a second, I don't think we're the same. So automatically I'm kind of turning off what you're saying, right? We, we shouldn't do that, but we do as a default. And Paul is fixing that right here at the very beginning by saying grace and peace. It's not just flowery words. It's, hey, however you want me to greet you, I'm greeting you for it. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is one of those verses, right, where your eyes start to go, it sounds really good. It sounds so good, but we don't uh, grab it. And I want to show you something here. And I'm going to use the green. And this is because it means life, let's say, uh, for those of you that need meaning. All right, here we go. Can you guys see this? In Christ. This is really important. That's why I marked it like that. In Christ. That phrase, in, okay, in the Greek, it's actually a location, right? 
we have in and we use it in different ways, but in this particular word, it's a location. And it means this, you have now been put in Christ, okay? Your location, although you are sitting here in Oklahoma City at Bethel Church, OKC, you are actually also in Jesus if you have given your life to him, okay? This locative term is actually used nine different times just in Ephesians 1. That to me says that's important, right? We're going to see it in verse 3, 4, 6, 7, twice in verse 10, 11, and twice in 13. So I wanna, I'm going to point that out to you as we go along because this is an important thing Paul's wanting you to understand. Your location is in Christ. And not just in Christ, but with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does this mean? This means you have no lack in your life. I don't know about you, but there are definitely times where I feel like I am lacking a lot of stuff, right? I might have a financial need. I might have a physical need. You know, I've had some health problems over the years. You know, it's like, Lord, I am lacking a body that works <laughs> the way I want it to work, right? We, we sometimes feel we have these lacks. But the reality is what Paul is trying to say is this is foundational to all people. You are actually locked into the same location as every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. We're actually going to unpack this more as the weeks go down. But I just think this is so important. All right, so here we go. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That sounds good. That's interesting. But let's break this down for you. I want you to focus on this word chose. Actually, this verse 4 is one of my personal favorite verses in the whole Bible. I don't know if you can see that one. It's going to get harder as we get lower. But this word chose, can you put that up there? It's called eklego. This is the Greek word eklego. Not ego, not Lego toys, but eklego. All right? This is what it means. Ek means out. Lego means I say. So essentially, this is what God is saying. He chose you and he said, he declared, out I say. In other words, you are set apart. You have been chosen to be different. Okay? And then he says before the foundation of the world. So he declared this before we can put the foundation word. We're going to call it katabole. I don't speak Greek, so I don't know if that's how you say it. But katabole, before he forcibly threw down the first layers of the earth, the foundation. So let me put it to you this way. Before God began the process of the earth, he had already declared his people would be set apart. This is good right? And not only are you set apart, you're set apart in him. So what Paul is doing is he's beginning to help people understand this is your identity. This is your reality. Your circumstances might want you to feel something different. They might want you to feel sorry for yourself or feel lacking, and we all feel those things sometimes. But the reality is our emotions have a tendency to lie to us. Maybe it's just me, <laughs> right? But we have days where we're like, I'm feeling so good about myself. You know, you get that strut on, your favorite song hits, and you're just like, man, this is the life. And then maybe the next day something else happens, and it's just like, golly, I suck. I suck so bad. And we go in this downward spiral, right? Because our emotions have a tendency to lie to us. You have been positioned in Christ with all the heavenly blessings, with everything that's available in the heavenly realm. And not only that, but he chose you. He declared almost forcibly that you are important to him. That you are not just the same as everything in creation, but that you are set apart. This is so, so beautiful. Okay, you can take that down. All right, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So what we're going to talk about here with this one is this. You are predestined, meaning he intentionally thought of you beforehand. 
right? I don't, I don't personally subscribe to the theory that God wants some people in heaven and he doesn't want others. It's just not supported in the whole of the Bible, okay? He wants everybody. Before the earth was even begun being formed, he declared all the people should be set apart for me. He also gives you this beautiful gift of free will, so you don't have to love him if you don't want to, but that doesn't mean his heart is that for some that he's just annoyed by, they don't get to be his children, right? It doesn't work that way. His heart is for all people. So he, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus. What this is saying here is through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, you became a firstborn child of God. Of course, you're not as Jesus, like you're not God now, okay? I hope none of you think that. Sometimes we get kind of weird, right? But we're not God, but we are like Jesus. In other words, he is not only our Lord and Savior, he's also our brother because God, his father, is now our father. And he's not the distant father of like, you know, I have a grandpa who was in 1790 and his name was something Kukla. Not like that, that I have no attachment to, but like firstborn. It's a true story. Kukla. It's a weird name. It's a Jewish name. Anyways. Um, Okay, but that's what it means. He predestined us for adoption to himself as his sons. You are now not only located in Jesus, not only chosen and set apart, but you are looked at like Jesus from God's perspective. That means that because you are in him and he is in you, that when God sees you, he sees you through the lens of Jesus. And God loves Jesus. He trusts Jesus. He cares for Jesus. And this is his blessing to you. We're going to get into some really flowery language in a second. And the blessing of that is because God not only loved you and set you apart, but he really loves Jesus. And so he merged you two together in his eyes, right? Now, you're not God, right? We still respect, I mean, Jesus is God, okay? But he looks at you, and now he doesn't withhold things from you because of your actions. Because now you are considered righteous through Jesus, If we can grab onto this, we can soar in life. You can have, we talk about prosperity all the time, not not prosperity of finances necessarily, but in your soul. When you go to bed at night and you're, you're just okay, you're good, right? You're not stressing about all the things in life. When you wake up in the morning, you're not dreading it. Now, not to say that we don't have seasons where it's difficult, but in general, that we understand we have a purpose. Our soul is prospering in Jesus. We get that through understanding this identity. All right, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us again in the beloved. Verse 7, in him, okay, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Trespasses are the sins you know you're not supposed to do. There's kind of two categories of sin, right? There's the kind that we didn't realize. We were kind of, you know, ignorant or blind. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that was wrong. And then there's the kind that I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway right? We all have those moments when you're sitting there and the temptation comes and you're like, this is wrong, but I'm doing it anyway. Even those things that we do in the face of Jesus, even those things he forgives you for. Isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, but when I read that, I feel really convicted that I should be more like Jesus. (laughs) Like, oh, you deliberately did that against me. Cool, cool. I should forgive you of your trespasses as well. All right, verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. All right, here we go. We're going to highlight this word insight. This is an important one. Oh, we're over here now. Insight, okay? This word insight actually has practical application. I want to read this to you from the Passion Translation because I really love the way that it says it. We're going to pick it up in verse 7 and read 7 and 8, okay? It says, since we are now joined to Christ, again, we're in him, we have been given 
the treasure of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because the cascading riches of his grace. This superabundant grace is already powerfully working in us. Now catch this, releasing within us all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. This word insight actually has, when you take it to the Greek, it actually has a practical implication. What does this mean? Not only are you located in him, not only has he set you apart, not only has he made everything available to you because of Jesus, but he has put something inside of you that has practical help for you. And in fact, as his grace is being released in you, it is releasing wisdom and practical insight. That means, again, going back to the concept of having no lack, that means when you're stressing out and you don't know what to do, there is a source for an answer for you. And it's, it's not like, you know, the, sometimes if you're familiar with New Age or anything like that, sometimes they're like, you go inward and you find it inward kind of thing. And it's not really like that. It's more about just resting in God and saying, I'm acknowledging, Lord, that this, the word says your grace is already working within me. So I'm asking for that practical insight to start to take over my brain, <laughs> right? There are times where we'll sit and we're like, we don't know what to do about something. And I'll just sit there and I'll say, Lord, Proverbs talks about being at wisdom's table. And I'll just, in my mind's eye, I'll imagine myself sitting at this table and being like, wisdom's table, whatever this means, right? Because I don't know, but it's in the Bible. Wisdom's table, I need help. I don't know what to do with this. And I'll just quiet my heart and say, Lord, what do I do? Bam, nine times out of 10, this thought will come in that I didn't even, it's not me, it's the Lord, right? And you go, I never thought about it that way. It doesn't mean it instantly fixes our problems, but it gives us insight to begin to work, okay? This is so good. Are you guys loving this? I love this. I love this so much. I love Ephesians. All right, I like want to do a cheerleading move, but I will spare you that. Sight in your mind. Okay, verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purposes, which he set forth in Christ. There we go again, in Christ, right? Um, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. This is, again, a location, right? It's talking about how you are put into Jesus. Now, verse 11. Here's where it's going to get really good, as if it wasn't already. In him, we have that again. We have obtained an inheritance. Anybody want an inheritance? Anybody want to be a trust fund baby, right? This is, this is you. You've been given an inheritance you didn't even know. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is another one of those like, eh. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be saying that my eyes glaze over sometimes when I read the Bible, but I just want you to know that, you know, even pastors, we, we have these moments too. We just got to persist and dig in. So here it is in the Passion Translation. Through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as his inheritance. Before you were even born, he gave us our destiny that we would fulfill the plan of God who always accomplishes every purpose and plan that's in his heart. Before you were born. That's what it's talking about here when it says you have been predestined according to the purpose of his will. I want to give you some imagery that I can't really fully support, so we're going to talk about it like an imagination type thing. It's, it's pulling together several different Bible verses, and it's, it's sort of loose, so I'm just going to submit this to you for your own consideration. But I love this concept, and it's, it's this imagery that before you were conceived, okay, you're, you were a spirit in heaven. Okay, we all come from God, right? And, and I want to say before I even get into this, some of us think that we were here because our parents really wanted a baby, 
and you know, I, I'm, I'm a really blessed kid in that way that my parents really wanted another kid. They were very intentional and they got another kid and that was me. And I've always lived in the blessing. My brother was the first one who came around that they were not expecting. And so it was a little bit of a different feeling, right? And when I think about my life, I'm like, what a blessing to feel that I was wanted from the very beginning. But here's the reality. That's a subpar understanding of the fact that not only was I wanted by God, but I was destined by him. So even if you came from a family where you were wanted, or if you came from a family where you were a surprise and you were not wanted, there was intention behind that. So bear with me with this imagery. Let's just imagine that you are in heaven as a spirit and God is showing you, let's call it like a scroll, that you can read all the days of your life because the Bible tells us that God knows every day you're going to live. He knows everything that's going to go on in you, right? And so you get to, it's almost like you get to read that with God where he gets to tell you, this is what you're about. This is why I'm creating you. This is what I have in store for you, okay? And then he connects you with a fertilized egg in your mother's womb and that becomes your life. In that one moment of that fertilized egg, a lot happens, right? From heaven to earth, a lot happens. And so then you live your life. But as we live in this fallen world, it's like we can't remember what was on that scroll. Okay, we're imagining this, but just bear with me. I love this metaphor, okay? We can, it's like we can't remember, but the gift of prophecy and desiring God's understanding this, it begins to unearth what was on that scroll. We call that in our language finding your purpose or your destiny. But it's the same thing. It's this innate feeling, I feel like I was made for something. I just don't know what it is. You know why? Because you were. And in fact, God has it written out on this really cool scroll or a book. I don't know what it looks like in his world, but it's intentional and it's purposeful. And so he created this whole world for you and then he sent you to the earth and now he wants you to partner with him to unearth what was in you in the first place and how he says that. And this is Paul saying, in him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What is he saying? He's saying everything that God wants you to experience in life is available to you. You have been located now in Jesus. You're locked up in the same place as his entire realm. And now if we will partner with him, if we will be willing to surrender, because sometimes getting into our place that's on that scroll is letting go of what we thought we were supposed to be. Right? I know for my own life, I had a lot of um, ideas and I'm not doing any of them. <laughs> but I'm the most fulfilled I could possibly be. Why? Because I'm doing what God had said. But there's a wrestle that comes where we have to say, okay, Lord, I don't want to lay aside my will for my life, but I'm going to do it because I'm trusting, like we sang in that beautiful worship song earlier, I'm trusting that you have a plan that's actually better than mine. And when I participate with your plan, all the blessing of heaven participates with me. Just think about it for a second. It's getting really good. So sometimes we feel, again, our emotions lie to us. Sometimes we feel we don't have a purpose. We don't have, you know, a, or maybe our purpose is just not very significant. Or maybe it doesn't matter to anybody else, to ourselves or X, Y, Z. But God looks at it and he says, I laid out the days of your life. And oh my gosh, I am so excited about them. And you may not be fully in them yet, but because I am God, I can accelerate things in your life and put you right where you were supposed to be from the get-go. And it's amazing. And so you don't have to regret that you didn't know this 5, 10, 20 years ago, you get to get excited that when you come into alignment with him in all of what he's saying, when we recognize that we are actually in him, we thought all this time we weren't, but now we know we are, then a synergy begins to happen. We have to take a risk and we obey the Lord. But when we do that, all of heaven starts cheering us on and it gets 
really, really good. All right, verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him. There we have it again. So good. You guys, that's what I want you to be hearing all week long. In him. I am in him. In him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So I know you can't really see this, but this is so important. I'm going all three, okay? Here we go. The rainbow circling. Here we go. We didn't get enough blue. We got to get everybody represented here. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Most of us, myself included, came unto an understanding that this seal was sort of like a deposit of the Holy Spirit that somehow sets us up to have a baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I don't really think that's very biblical. I mean, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is available to everybody in a moment. That's how God, he gives it freely. It's his desire to do that. It's part of what he paid for on the cross. And so what this is really saying, okay, you can put up the, the word I cannot pronounce. You ready to hear me butcher this? Sfrugazito. Sfrugazito. Okay. What? Somebody just said it sounded better than me. I don't know. I can't even say it. I'm going to accidentally say something I shouldn't. It looks like pasta to me. Does anybody feel like that? You're like, oh, all of a sudden I'm hungry for Italian food. But this word, all right, it means complete and without defect. And let me tell you what this word is. In the Greek, at that specific time when Paul wrote it, this word was a term used for people selected for special military service. Okay. It was a word that would say, I I can't even try. All right. I want to try, but I can't even try. The SpaghettiO word, they, thank you, Grant, that works. This word, it was like saying these people have been sealed to the side. They've been like set apart to the side, and they are like selected, and they've been verified, okay? It's like if you are um, in a hospital, and you're looking for something that's sanitized, and it's got a seal of sanitation. This is that word, a seal, okay? Here's what it means. I'm so excited to tell you this. All right, here's what it means. When you had your moment of salvation, a lot happened in an instant, right? We just talked about this. When you were conceived, a lot happened in an instant, right? When you had your moment of salvation, you were born again. Now, I hope you guys all know this, but I'm going to catch you up in case you don't, okay? You were born again. The old is actually gone. The parts of you that were not good, Jesus took care of that. He justified and paid for your sin. So in that one moment, The Bible tells us that how do we know we're saved? We believe in our heart and we profess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, right? Sometimes we quantify it as like, did you pray the prayer, you know? But there's no prayer in the Bible, interestingly enough. It's a helpful tool, but it's not the guarantee. I actually never prayed the sinner's prayer, and I'm pretty sure I'm saved. And so it's a matter of when you have that moment of faith that happens in you, where now all of a sudden you know Jesus is Lord. Okay, so in that moment of conversion, you are born again, and in the Spirit, a lot happens in that moment. And the Holy Spirit comes, and he inspects you, and he inspects the work of salvation. And when he has confirmed that the work of salvation is done and complete, he seals you, sfrugazito, he seals you, and he marks you complete and without defect. This is so great. What is it saying? It's saying that the Holy Spirit trusted the work of salvation in your life, and he guaranteed it. 
He guaranteed that it was a full and complete work. So now we don't work for our salvation. We don't work for love from God. We don't strive because we're desperate and we want God to bless us. And so we just feel like if we gave all our money away and we fast every day, then he'll move. That is works mentality and it's not God. God did everything he was going to do. He verified it worked inside of you. Even if you don't understand that, right? And then he set you up to where all of heaven, because you are located in him, all of heaven is now available to you. Guys, this is incredible news, right? And what happens in our life and with the enemy, and man, the enemy is so, ugh, don't you just like, ugh, you know, get out of here. That's how I feel. I'm like, leave me alone already. But what he does is he picks at that seal and he picks at it and he wants you to feel like you're defective. And he wants you to remember all the stuff that you did wrong. And he wants you to remember all the crap that happened to you. And he wants you to go back to that place and he wants you to prove to you that the Holy Spirit's work was not enough. That's what's really happening. So he starts lying to you. He starts bringing up old situations. He starts bringing up times where you trespassed, right? You knew you shouldn't have done it and you did it anyway. And in those moments, what we get to do, because now we are positioned and located where? in him, right, in Christ, however you want to say that, in the beloved, he gives us a few different ways, because that's now our location, when that happens, we get to turn around and say, listen, I have been approved as without defect. I may have been abused as a kid, but that doesn't have to disqualify me from God's calling. I may have made some really big mistakes, but that doesn't have to disqualify me. It might delay me. It might mean I have to deal with some character stuff, right? But it doesn't disqualify me. Why? Because God is trusting the work of salvation in your life, and you need to too. When we begin to trust that, we begin to thrive right? I know for me personally, I wasn't going to share this, but I will anyway. For me personally, a lot of my journey has been just completely doubting everything. You know, I have, I have not so great of a past, okay? It's not like I had a lot of deliberate sin, but I had a lot of stuff done to me that wasn't so ideal. And we all have these moments where we start thinking about that and we're like, oh man, and we just feel crummy. We don't believe in ourselves enough, right? I was having a conversation with one of my kids recently where it, it was, I'm not going to tell you all the details, but basically this kid said to me, I get that you and dad believe in me, but I don't believe in myself. And I said, well, what are you going to do about it? Right? And their response was, well, you just quit believing in me. <laughs> I said, you know, I got a little frustrated, I'll be honest. I said, I, I, you know, not everybody has parents that really believe in you. <laughs> right? You're getting a gift here, but if you don't want me to believe in you, let me think about it, right? It's not going to happen, but let me think about how to respond to that. But that's how it is with God. God is sitting there going, I trust the work of the Holy Spirit in you. I trust that whatever happened to you, I can fix. I trust that I can give you a blessing and you can hold it. Why? Not because you're infinitely trustworthy, but because you are in Jesus and he is infinitely trustworthy, right? All right. So let me read that one more time. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. See, this only applies to those who are saved, okay? This is why it's important to make sure we're talking to people about Jesus, because don't you want them to get that too? I know I do. All right, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So let me just sum it up for you. You have a purpose you really do. You are not here by accident. You're not. There is no one on the earth that's here by accident. You might believe that, but that's a lie. Just go ahead and help you out with that one. 
You have a purpose, and we have been set apart. Going back to that eklego word where God declared you to be set apart. We've been set apart, and so that should cause us to walk in a different way. That should cause us to talk differently, to act differently, to rise up a little bit, to consider ourselves sort of regal in that regard. We should be looking at that and saying, man, this is intentional, deliberate, thought process of Jesus to set us apart even before he started the world. That should affect us in our life. And the last one, and I cannot say this enough today, clearly Paul couldn't either because, you know, he was hitting that nine times in chapter one. You were put into him. And so what I feel like the Lord wants us to do this week is to walk away from this message and to carry with you what would it look like if you began to see yourself in the same place as Jesus. Again, we're not talking about seeing yourself as God, right? But seeing yourself in him. That where he is, you are. That where you are in your life, he is. So when you're having a moment and you're, you know, frustrated and you want to do, make a bad choice or you're having a moment and you're feeling down about yourself or whatever the crucible moment is for you, that in that moment you say, all right, Lord, I am in you. And this practical insight is working in me. And I need your help. It doesn't have to look really, you know, super spiritual. It's actually very simple. So that's what I want you guys to take away and do. And, and what I want to do to end is I want to pray over you guys. I feel like the Lord's given me a blessing to release over you. I know we don't normally do this, but um, this series is really important to me. And it's really important to my heart because I honestly believe that if we will partner with God, there is nothing that's impossible right? And I'm not even talking about, sometimes people hear that and they think, well, that feels uncomfortable to me. Like, what am I going to have to do that I don't want to do? That's not actually what this is about. It's about what are you wanting to see happen in your life? And maybe now is the time that God's going to do it, right? And so as we focus on the overflow mentality, as we focus on grabbing what Ephesians is doing to tell us to live, you know, we're going to use the book of Ephesians. We're going to talk through marriage. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about a bunch of topics that apply to us in a regular, in our regular normal lives, right? And we're going to watch God do some unbelievable, incredible things. So if you would be so willing, would you stand up with me? I want you to put your hand on your heart. There's nothing magical about this. It's just, it's almost like an act that lets us know, Lord, I want these words to sink into the very inmost part of me. If you don't feel comfortable with that, that's fine. You don't have to. But um, put your hand on your heart. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to release a blessing over you. And, um, and you just partner with it if this is what you want to see in your, in your life. And so, Lord, we thank you that this is a season of overflow. And God, we come before you today as a collective of people gathered together under your name, and we want to see you do the things that you say you do. We want to see the Bible take root in our life in this season. So I bless these people to have a flourished life with you. I bless them that as they read the Bible, maybe for the first time, that it becomes alive to them. I bless them with eyes to see deeper into what these words are really meaning. And I bless them this week to have an awareness of their position in you. Lord, I'm asking that the moments where they call upon you would be met with quick answers this week. Lord, we, we just thank you. We thank you for this season, and I bless them in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I want to thank you guys for being here with us. I know we've been saying this lately, but we just genuinely feel this way. We know you have a lot of choices of what to do on a Sunday morning, especially Labor Day weekend, right? You could be at Panera. You could be sleeping in. You could be at any number of the amazing churches we have here. But you being here tells me that you are interested in God doing something in your life right? It tells me that you actually want to see Jesus be who he says he is. So my challenge to you is read the book of Ephesians, at least chapter one, 
Read chapter one this week. If you've read it a bunch, pick a different translation and read it out of that. You can flip through those um, books that are on the black table in the lobby. See if you want to buy one for yourself. You are blessed to have an amazing Labor Day. We love you guys so much.